It's our live from Nashville series, Buddy Jan and Matt Bailey, live from Nashville Coffees near Opryland on the Music Universe podcast. How's your afternoon going, buddy? Morning going? Oh, mid-morning. As well as yours. Oh, yes, because we're together. We're together <laughs> at Nashville Coffees doing these wonderful podcasts. The And I have to say, I had a drink here. I have to see what, what the name of it is. I'm going to stand up. Well, mine's easy. It was chocolate milk. It's um, iced apple butter. Or I had the hot version. I had apple butter How latte. Was it? With, but they didn't do latte. They did steamed milk. It was amazing. It was like the season in a cup. Yeah. It was like apple cider hot, but better. Nice. She said it's, a, it's an apple pie in a cup. If you come to Nashville, Interesting. Nashville Coffees, it's in the strip mall off of, off of Music Valley Drive. It's, it's behind a, the Nashville Palace. It's behind the yeah. Nashville Palace. You make a right instead of going left into the Opryland area. You, this, this is, They've got some this cool, uh, cool memorabilia too. A bunch of signed photos. There's a signed Rogue guitar from Blake Shelton. Yeah. And uh, an album, uh, framed album art. This is great. And when we walked in here, we had two of our friends sitting here. We had Tim Atwood and mm-hmm. Roxanne Atwood. Yeah. And if we've ever just sat down and recorded a conversation. This is it. Tim has a new album called Who, uh, Who I Am. He signed us, gave us copies, but he's rifling through his right now. That's yours. Uh, or mine, because they're labeled now, because he signed them <laughs> to us. Two, sweet, two sweeter people you will not find. They were awesome to talk to about everything. I mean, they, they were awesome the first time. We did them individually over the phone earlier this spring when you know we had our massive interview collection. Uh, going for uh, COVID lockdowns, and uh, they were super sweet and kind enough to meet us in person. Of course, we social distance, and just chatted uh, about. Yeah, that's a lie. Everything. Everybody's going to see the picture of us standing next to you. Don't say we social. We got distance. a picture. We got a picture. Yeah. So it was fun, and this is a great interview. It's a long interview. It's forty minutes, so we're just going to get right to it. Our friends Tim and Roxanne Atwood. Tim and Roxanne Atwood. How are you both today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm pretty good. <laughs> it should be better than good. Oh, I'm having a, no, I'm, I'm great today. Today's the day your CD releases. I know. Who, That's exciting. Who I am. So yeah. let's let's start with the obvious question, and I'm not going to ask it to you. I'm going to ask it to you. Who is Tim Atwood? Oh man, Tim Atwood is a very talented artist. But beyond that, he's a great husband. He's a great father. He's a great grandfather. Um, he's funny, um, quick on the draw, and you have to watch him because he learned from the best. You know, 38 years on the Grand Ole Opry, playing for everyone as a staff piano player at the Grand Ole Opry. Um, you're sitting there playing behind Minnie Pearl and Roy Acuff, and then you're playing behind Vince Gill, and then one day it's Carrie Underwood and Taylor Swift. And so you kind of, I think Tim is kind of, absorbed the best parts of all those entertainers and you have to watch him because he can be on a show with a more renowned entertainer than himself and he can steal the show so they better bring their a game from on this show with him that's who tim atwood is that's i love you (laughs) (laughs) that's the nicest things you've ever said about me (laughs) it's all true well off of what you said how has playing for all of these artists who i'm sure have their own tastes their own way of wanting the band to work. How has that informed your artistry? Well, I've worked with so many people, and uh, most of them were pretty nice. Uh, you know, there were some that were a little hard to work with, 
but uh, I always try to give them what they wanted. If they wanted certain things, I try to do that. But uh, I think it served me well because I've met all these people coming up. I mean, like Garth Brooks before he was Garth Brooks. You know what I mean? And so having that uh, interaction with those folks. But after 38 years working with Porter Wagner and Roy Acuff and G.D. Seeley and all those folks, that's where I really learned how to do what I do, what, and it, which is entertainment. Uh, I'm going to sing a couple songs. I'm going to tell a couple jokes. I'm going to tell stories. I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to make you cry. It's a roller coaster ride. So I learned from the best. Now, what was it like going in with all these artists, whether you played with them before or not, just walking in there? Did it make you nervous? Did you rehearse? Or did you just have sheets and just have to go in and play it? Well, the majority of the time, we would have uh, a rehearsal. What they would do, they would send the songs to us like on Thursday, and then you walk in Friday night and are expected to play it. You'd run through the song once, then go on stage and do it. There were nights, uh, Trace Atkins' first night on the Opry. Uh, it was amazing because he called like at, I want to say about 8 o'clock, and he wanted to be on the 9.30 show. And one of the guys had a time to write a chart, a number chart, national number chart. And uh, when they introduced Trace, they came out and they put this piece of paper in front of me and you just played. You had one shot at it, either it was do or die. Is that nerve-wracking? Yeah. <laughs> they had never you even listened to that song. It was just a chart yeah. and go. You couldn't have got me off that seat with a crowbar. <laughs> I mean, I was a little nervous. And, and, and that's what's great about Nashville. I, I know when I, I lived here like 12 years ago, so it's great to be back. But when I was here for two years, before I moved here, I visited a, just a small studio somewhere. I was in touch with someone. And I was so green to it. I sat there when they were playing back kind of their mix. I said, so how long did it take you guys to rehearse this? They looked at each other and started laughing. Like, <laughs> rehearse? No. We listened to it once, maybe twice. Three at the most. Chart it, we go do it. It sounds like yeah. somewhere. Yeah. All right, I'm going to take a step back and not worry about trying to do studio work. <laughs> be in my own band where I don't have that pressure, because that's, that's got to be a lot of pressure. Yeah. I, at the time, it, you know, you just do it without thinking. You just, you just you go on autopilot. Uh, there were a few moments where I did get a little nervous. I mean, different people. I'm playing for uh, Barry Gibb, uh, worked the Opry one night, or the Bee Gees, and, and working with him. And uh, Taylor Swift, I, I honestly, with Taylor Swift, I just thought, you know, she's pretty good. I didn't think anything of her. She's pretty good. About three weeks later, man, she just explodes. And her father had asked me to come out and get on his boat and write songs with Taylor. And I said, no, I'm not. Because I didn't think she was going to really hit. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> she might have written a song about you, yeah. so maybe it's a good it's thing. It's probably a good thing. <laughs> maybe Tim McGraw should actually be Tim Atwood. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I want to talk to you because you're music journalist, music producer, off of that to kind of split focus here. What do you make when somebody rises meteorically like that, like a Taylor Swift or outside a country like a Lady Gaga who now is trying to go country with her Joanne and whatever? What, what do you make? Is it because she's had staying power, but she's left country. What do you make when you see an artist just explode? Well, I think you really see them explode now within the past 10 years more so than yeah. in the past. Mm -hmm. And it's because of social media. You don't need big labels behind you necessarily. Mm -hmm. 
You just make enough a noise and you get the attention. And I think that like Taylor Swift, she caught on with the tween group at first. Mm -hmm. And that was a group in country music that was sorely lacking at the time. Mm -hmm. And she just, her fan base just built like crazy, but she was a master at social media. So I think that's an equalizer. I mean, I see these influencers now. We have grandkids, so my 10-year-old watches these folks who have a fan base of like two and a half million people. On TikTok. Yeah, on TikTok, that's crazy. Yeah, my daughter coming out here, she's sitting on a plane dancing a TikTok and filming it and then uploading it with the Wi-Fi on there. I'm like, what are we doing? Our kids do that too, and it's like, first of all, I watch the moves, and there's no way I could move like that to begin with, and they just pick it up like that. But the fact that this, you know, like a 13-year-old girl can have two and a half million, three million followers, that's more followers than most artists have today. So I, I say that social media is a reason for the explosion. But, Tim, because of that, are we getting away from what matters with uh, music? I, I don't, I'm not sure if it's getting away from it. Uh, it's just different. I mean, the, the TikTok thing is is amazing. We've got one granddaughter. I think she does it in her sleep. She loves it so much. But the influencers, uh, I would have never thought I would see a day where you've got these young people with that many followers influencing the country. And uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, to me, there still has to be some sort of substance there, you know, to, for, for it to really work. So tell me about this new album. How long did it take you? What's your favorite song? Can you pick a favorite song? Let's look at the track listing here. Well, we started this, I want to say, last February. And uh, it just came out a couple weeks ago. But uh, these are songs that I love really good writing. And every song on here is, is just... These are songs I wouldn't mind doing if, if something happened and I hit. I wouldn't mind singing any of these songs forever because they're great songs. And I did it basically for me because I, I wanted to do the stuff that makes me happy. If you if you hear that, then you know who I am. By you know, even in the inside cover, Roxanne wrote. You know, there's so many different sides because that that goes from having just a piano, vocal, and strings all the way up. I've got a horn section on a couple songs. Oh wow! Did Did you write them all? No, uh, I co-wrote a couple songs on there, uh, but uh, there's some great songs. Uh, one of my favorite writers is Mac McAnally, and uh, he plays lead guitar for Jimmy Buffett, but he had his own stuff. I, I was listening to him back in the 70s, but he is just an amazing songwriter, my favorite songwriter. And, uh, but I, uh, the single, he, Mac wrote the new single, You First. And, uh, yeah, well, the single is Sending Me Angels. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Never mind. But he wanted you first. He wanted you first. Um, Sending Me Angels is a, is a really cool song that speaks of today's times. And I think that when you hear it, you'll hear the passion in Tim's voice as he sings it. And it was actually a song that he sang to me on our wedding day um, 17 years ago. And um, it's even more meaningful to now with what, what all everything that's going on in the world. We have angels everywhere. And uh, anyhow, so that's a single, and it's getting some really good response, and we're excited about it. But he was talking about, you asked him about the CD. I think that as you begin to age, that, that with age comes a sense of freedom because you don't chase radio anymore. You actually do produce the record 
that you wanted to do in your heart. And if people enjoy it, great. But you can stand true to th this is who I am. This collection of songs speaks to Tim. And it, it speaks to me, too. I think that the listeners are really going to enjoy it. And that's what I think uh, with music today. I'm, I'm not personally a radio guy because I don't like a lot of the contemporary stuff. And being able to do your own thing and still obviously keep your fan base and gain new fans has got to be a great feeling. It is. It's wonderful. Uh, I've got a friend of mine. She's got a little three-year-old granddaughter, and uh, she listened to the CD, and, and she's got her favorite song. And my cousin, her grandson, he's four. They said that he listened to uh, "Short and Bread Rock" on there, and he kept saying, "Play it again, play it again, play it again." <laughs> and she said that night he had his walkie-talkie out, and he was talking. They said, "Who are you talking to?" He said, "Your cousin Tim." <laughs> but I, I'm starting to get the young ones. Now if I can just get the older ones to jump on board, we're good. Oh, he's doing great with kids and 70-plus. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask, we talked to both of you separately in the spring, and I believe when we talked to you, he was recording, was it this album? He was. It was that album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and we had to do it because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We did it in spurts, and we took precautions, and the CD was going to come out in June. And it was like, you get to June and you go, wow, we're in the middle of this. Surely it'll be over with by July or August. And then July and August comes and you go, wow. And so there's so much work in it. We could have held it to 2021, but it, it was its time. So even in the middle, it's crazy to put out new product in a, a pandemic because we don't have the shows to help promote the CD. So we really appreciate you guys more than you could ever possibly know we thank you for this opportunity well it's funny we, we planned the trip to come down because uh, you know who over there uh, was worked really really hard and we're going to give a shout out to Scott Scott Sexton 2911 media who um, he got us in for the Oaks for the for the Christmas show and that was a feat because they're not handling it it's it's the Opryland and so I said, okay, if we can do this, I'll come down because I need a show. It's 2020. <laughs> like our, our show was supposed to be Garth in Vegas. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then, of course, everything got pushed back. So he's in my ear saying, you need to come to Nashville. I go, I'm not flying in there. I ain't going there. <laughs> well, that one over there wants <laughs> to be here. Yeah. So I kind of had both of them. We in ganged my up ear, on Because I mentioned good. it to her. Now, I know I'm not doing it, so I didn't book my trip till two weeks ago today. Wow. Yeah. So we just ended up just coming out, and here we are. So I'm curious, how was the flight over? Uh, it was okay. I mean, we flew from Bakersfield to uh, Phoenix, and Did Phoenix straight out. Socially distanced, or was, um, it, or was it crowded on the plane? The first plane was more distant. I mean, we had it was just a smaller one, so we just had the two seats. But the and then they actually went up and down the aisle and made people wear their masks. Oh, good. Well, yeah. at, um, from Phoenix to Nashville, it was packed. I mean, we had a guy sitting next to me, but we all, you know. DC. DC, I was on. And of course, that's my cell phone. <laughs> and what is rule number one? Shut your cell phone off. Yes, indeed. Okay, so sorry, guys. It's okay. We're sitting here at a coffee shop, very informal. Love, yeah, that's yeah. all the background noise. I love it. <laughs> DC was, was, it was, I paid because it was actually rather cheap to pay for the for the row between first class and economy yeah. with the extra so I got that when I picked my seat and there was nobody in the seat next to me so I moved over to the window 
and slept the whole time. Uh, it was fine. It was fine. I, I'm an hour away. They're, they're on the other side of the country. I'm an hour flight from D.C. It was about a five-hour trip for us. Yeah. So they say two hours, but we made it in like 90, 90 minutes. Well, we're glad you're here, and you are going to be in for a treat. You picked a good show. Sorry you didn't get to see Garth, but the Oak Ridge Boys are going to wow you, you tonight. I've never seen them. Did you ever play behind them? Did you yes, ever, I at have. The Opry? Uh, at the Opry, and we had a TV show that we did. And T.G. Shepard was the host. We shot a pilot, and uh, I was the, the band leader, uh, music director, and uh, they were on. But I've known Dwayne uh, probably 40 years. I mean, I've known Dwayne. I had an uncle that sang in a gospel group, uh, the Florida Boys Quartet, and they, when the Oaks were gospel, they would do package shows together. So I've known the Oaks forever. But I have played with, like I said, I've just played with just about anybody you think of. In fact, Dwayne Allen, when you uh, take a look at the press release for the CD, he wrote some glowing uh, remarks, very kind and I do believe sincere, about Tim um, concerning this new single, Sending Me Angels. He was blow, blown away when he heard it because he's so used to, used to Tim being behind the piano mm -hmm. that when he heard the vocals and he heard the passion in the voice, it was like, wow. It blew him away, and so he was very, very kind. Let me ask you, because you were producer, journalist, you're an artist. In your relationship, did that ever create any kind of conflict where there was something you couldn't talk about because you were reporting? And you ha Has that ever, two sides of the same coin, has that ever reared its head in any way? Not in a journalistic um, standpoint or point, yeah. but on a husband-wife level, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Scott could tell him as a publicist, you know, you need to fix your hair a little different, or you need to do this, or how about re-singing that? But um, but a wife, oh my gosh, get off of my back. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I find that I find that my job is harder because we're married. Yeah. Um, but I love him very much, and if he would just listen, he would be so much better off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The first time, he ends up, yeah, we, she, everything ends up okay. And see, she is great. She is fabulous with words. And uh, she was on TNN on camera and did feature stories. And uh, she is, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have a career, I don't think. She uh, she really has worked really, and she she does know. I need to listen to her. Sometimes I just do it because I, I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my question for you, Roxanne, is um, when I first uh, visited National 98, uh, I'm going to get kind of uh, nerdy with the technical side of TV, drove around uh, the backside of Opryland, and there was like CMT, TNN, I guess, right yeah. there. And I was hardcore for a tour. They, they said they didn't give them. What was it like walking in to... I mean, these are iconic brands. What was it like walking into that building and going to work there? You know? Well, I will say this. I never once took it for granted, ever. I was 23 years old when I started at TNN. And uh, my first interview was with Minnie Pearl and Jack Green on the same day, two different interviews. And I was there for many, many years. And every single time I walked into the TNN building, um, I, I was living the dream. That's what I always wanted to do. And every time, you know, we went live from the Grand Ole Opry every Saturday night. Yeah. 
So around four o'clock in the afternoon, I'd be walking under that artist entrance to the Grand Ole Opry to produce a television show that was going to go live at seven o'clock. And I never once took for granted. I always said a prayer and thank God walking under that artist entrance, walking, you know, through that door. I was very well aware of my surroundings and just so thankful. And and my father and mother, at that point, uh, my mom had already passed away. Mm. But um, but I just know that she would have been so proud because they loved country music so much. Yeah. And I was raised on country music. I like all genres of music, but country by far has my heart. You know, I, I grew up, um, we lived at my grandparents for about a year, and then I used to always, in elementary and early middle school, I'd go home to them and also sleep over in the summer very close. My grandfather had a little den at the back and every week and that I was there it was Grand Ole Opry on CMT. So oh, I don't know if okay. it was simulcast from TNN to CMT. This is like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And they're broadcasting it. I don't even know if it was reruns or if it was the show that week. Um, I miss that. I miss, we don't have that anymore. I think maybe the closest thing is Circle doing it now but yeah circle and then you've got a few things on rfd yeah um tv um i know that larry black has larry's country diner do yeah. you guys get rfd oh yeah mm-hmm. i snuck into that building you did <laughs> <laughs> he gets to tell his story i'll try to tell you okay. so i'm going around this is in the early days when i had my podcast i've had some pretty big interviews we come to nashville for my 21st birthday and i had these demo cds made up of just my interviews and i'm going in these different places. I went to Clyde Records to give something to Ray Stevens yeah. person. Uh, went different places. Well, Randy Bernard, who did Ghost Tunes with Garth, was, the C- was also at the time the CEO of um, RFD. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to do a Ghost Tunes podcast. I wanted to pitch a Ghost Tunes podcast for, for him. I'd made a demo, mock-up, everything. So we get to the RFD building, and I'm... I'm dressed up nice, but I walk in. Somebody holds the door open. I walk in, go up to the go up to the floor. Go, yeah, I'm here. I'd like to see Randy Bernard. I have something to give him. Well, he's not available, so I take the card. But they're all looking at me, really weird. Like, what's this kid doing here? How how? Well, I go back down. There's another radio station. I'm out of di- CDs, so I go back out to the car, grab another CD, try to get back in. The door is locked. I snuck in because somebody <laughs> held it open for me. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with that? Nothing, but like, I'm not the kind of guy that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that if it was like, locked, damn, okay, move on. But that was, that's my, you know, snuck in experience. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and there were, I know GAC used to be there, Great American Country. Yeah. I yeah. remember getting buzzed in to actually drop off resumes, but it's hard to get into some of these places. So yeah. the fact that they held it open for you. <laughs> Somebody leaving didn't know any different, but I'm sorry. Right. No, that's all right. When you talk about sneaking in, I don't, I don't know. If, did you ever sneak into anywhere like that for country music? No, I don't you think You were I, already playing professionally, and they, playing, the doors yeah. were open for you. Yeah. Um, when I worked at TNN, I think I may have told you guys this, that Dirks Bentley worked there, too. No. Okay. No, actually. When I worked at TNN, Dirks Bentley had just graduated from Vanderbilt. Oh. Okay. He has a degree in literature, <laughs> which he doesn't like to brag about. I'd be telling everybody. But he had just graduated from Vanderbilt, 
and he wanted a job in country music so he ended up getting a job at TNN in music licensing working as an assistant for a friend of mine and so every day I'd go in my friend's cubicle and I would talk to her and Dirks would be there this young kid good looking he was kind of quiet at the time and he and I became great friends and he loved country music and he loved the Grand Ole Opry and he would sneak into the Grand Ole Opry so many times he finally got caught and the president of the Grand Ole Opry I'm not going to name names now but he told Dirks that he could he was banned from the Opry he could no longer come into the Grand Ole Opry and so Dirks was a friend so I said oh Dirks they forget that so I would give him a headphone a, a set of headphones and a clipboard and I would say, every Saturday night, you need to meet me here at 4 o'clock. Just walk in with me with your headphones on your head and the clipboard in your hand and look authoritative and nobody's going to say a word. And so for a year, he accompanied me backstage to the Grand Ole Opry, and I would even plug him into one of the cameras oh my so God. that he could get what was going on, the feed, you know. And he would stand there as Bill Anderson at that time was the host for Opry Backstage. And then after the show, our show wrapped at 8 o'clock. But everybody just assumed that he was part of the crew, so he had free reign of the Grand Ole Opry, and Dirks never forgot that. And when he signed with Capitol Records, and they were writing his bio, of course they have people on staff there at Capitol mm -hmm. to do all of those things, and he said, no, I don't want you to do it, I want Roxanne to do it. Oh. So I wrote for Dirks' first bio for Capitol Records because he's that kind of guy, he's a loyal guy, and I think it's been a while since I've seen him personally, but the last time we saw him was at George Jones's funeral. Yeah, George's funeral. And they wanted Dirks to go to the front of the line as an artist. You know, we're all waiting in line, but he's special. He's Dirks Bentley. And he said, no, I'm not going to butt in front of all these people. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll go a little ahead. I'll stand with Roxanne and Tim. So he stood with us for an hour before he paid his respects to Nancy Jones. Oh, wow. That's the kind of guy Dirk Spentley That's is. That's a so great story. Isn't that a cool story? We, we meet so many people. And then Tim ended up playing piano at George Jones's funeral, which he doesn't talk about that a lot, but I think that's just okay, a, major, to, that's that. a how, major thing. How was, how was that? I mean, there had to be all kinds of emotions. There was. Uh, I. It was the staff band, the Opry staff band we played. And, uh, but I had had a, a deal with George back in the 70s. Uh, I was working with Jim Ed Brown. Oh, wow. And uh, we Another were in. late great. Yeah. But we were, uh, we were in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, George had chartered a flight. It was a package show. And my wife was having surgery the next day. And so Jim Ed went to George and said, hey, can he fly back home with you? His wife's having surgery. Uh, would it be okay if he flew home for you because you get there faster than the bus could get there? And he said, sure. So we get to the airport, and uh, the pilot tells George, said, Mr. Jones, we shouldn't go right now. There's a terrible storm between here and St. Louis. He said, I chartered this flight. We're going home. So we get up in the plane. George has had a few. <laughs> can't get away with that anymore. There's no. The FAA regulations can't but he uh, actually, fly in the storm. He sat there and... Uh, fell asleep, passed out. In, it passed out. <laughs> there were four seats on the plane, so it was me, George, his road manager, and the pilot. 
And I was sitting where I could see the horizon meter, where it lets you know if you're level or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we were flying, and it was just back and forth. I thought, I'm going to die on a plane crash with George Jones, and ain't nobody going to know who I am or how I got on this <laughs> plane. But, uh, but yeah, George was great, yeah, you know. Uh, but it was it was kind of surreal to be playing George's funeral. It, about that funeral, I was there. I was working the back door. I didn't intend to. I intended to be in a pew mm -hmm. paying my respects to George. But when I got there, Secret Service was all around because Laura Bush attended that funeral. Mm -hmm. And every artist had to check in that atten who attended that funeral through the back door of the Grand Ole Opry. And they realized they didn't have anybody there that day who could work the back door who would know the artist and the publicist and everybody coming through. So they pulled me out of the audience and said, you need to work with the Secret Service. So I worked with the Secret Service on the back door that day and wow. saw the funeral on a monitor in front of me. And it it was amazing, guys. I'm, thank God, I am not old enough to have been around when Hank Williams died. But Hank Williams' funeral, we've all seen those pictures where mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of people in the streets, it was amazing. That's what the Opry House was like that day. There were so many people at the Opry House to pay respect, and that holds 4,400 people, yeah. um, that there were still thousands of people left in front of the Opry House as that funeral was going on. And if you ever see some pictures of that, it's pretty amazing. Couldn't have picked a better venue for it. Oh, it had to be the Grand Ole Opry. Couldn't be bridged. It could not be one of those big arenas. Yeah. No. Right. Oh, were you at Charlie's? Were you, were you, speaking of funerals, were you at, were you at Charlie Daniels? I was not at Charlie Daniels' funeral. I think we were on the road. Because that was the same same thing. Yeah. yeah. A very loved man. Charlie Daniels, I don't think that if you were in his circle, you were a very blessed individual. Yeah. You're not going to hear very many bad words uh, or things about Charlie Daniels. And I respect and love how he took care of his family and took care of the core people who worked with him, his band and his office crew but um, how he stood up for America. No bones about it, you know how Charlie Daniels felt, and he did not apologize for that. No. And I loved him for that. That's a true patriot. And we actually, we were booking him for our show. We were going to have him yes. whenever, because I knew um, Zygus. I had known Paula for a couple of years. I'd interviewed him a few times, and um, she was like, yeah, just, just hit me up when we're going to do it at this time. Yeah. Because he was only doing, like, political TV. He says, we're going to get back to the to the music stuff. Hit me up then. And then, like, a month later, he passed. So. Yeah. yeah, we were going to have him for the fall when the tribute show was going to happen. Yeah. So we can talk like this with you guys because you're music journalism. You, yeah. you, can, you travel in these worlds. You know what it's like to. Right. And then um, I know they pushed the tribute show back, uh, which we speculated was going to be like an actual tribute to him, yeah. but uh, yeah, we, we were going to have him on, and super excited. You know. Well, I'm going to turn the tables on you. Has there been a person that the two of you have interviewed that was like, oh my gosh, you're interviewing this person, you can't believe it, and then it's hard not to act, to act germy or whatever, but I mean, we all have that in us. That's a word we discussed before. Garth, in fact, um, <laughs> my first interview really with especially in person. Uh, Pointing later. at my hat, guys. That's what you're hearing. <laughs> yeah. He's pointing at the Garth, yes. Um, <clears throat> I was in Bakersfield. He had announced a big comeback tour. And uh, I got the press release, and I emailed back, hey, would love to be a part of 
this. And had only seen them once before that. That was in 1998 in St. Louis, so at the end of the big tour. Yeah. And so I get uh, I get an email right back saying, I think we can accommodate and reach out the week of. So of course I'm like calling everybody I know, like, oh my God, I might, might get to interview Garth, might do this, yeah. um, might whatever. And I'm like preparing myself. So I wasn't quite sure how it was all gonna work. So uh, Fresno's about two hours from me. So I make arrangements, I leave the drought on that early. I'm like, I'm gonna meet Garth. I'm on my way up there. I get another email saying, oh, they're in-person interviews with Garth and Trisha. They're one-on-ones. Like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. I was just expecting to attend the press conference. Right. So I get up there. The first journalist there. I mean, that's how oh. early I am. I didn't know where I was going, so I, I found some people that worked there, and they got me like a notepad because I wasn't prepared for, for that. I was just going to sit at the press conference. And I'm like, the first video guy to or second first for Trisha second for Garth and uh, he, he was introduced he said oh music universe he goes you must play music I go yeah drums actually he goes I could tell so he started asking me questions while I'm getting prepared and I hit record while I'm he's asking me questions before I even get to ask him yeah. even a question and it was probably the best three, four minutes <clears throat> ever. Yeah. So yeah. it was just like, so cool. We shook hands. We couldn't get pictures. I was a little bummed at that, but I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll respect what they say. And uh, we didn't do autographs or anything, but I'm like, you know, not everybody can say they interviewed Garth. That's right. true. And that's how I came to know him, because, you know, that's how I, I, I'd read articles, but I was like, okay, he gets into the Garth stuff. So I hit him up, and then about, so, my podcast journey, just to just to backtrack for a minute, started as a ventriloquism podcast. A ventriloquism podcast. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but the the point is, it's it started right before I went to college. I never imagined it would turn into a celebrity talk show. It, I didn't interview Garth for for Music Universe. This was I was doing my own thing, and I'm like. I, I reach out to the, by this, by 2017, we're working together. So I reach out. I get the same thing. Yeah, probably can do it, but reach out the week up. Well, never forget it. It was my midterms for the spring semester and for my criminal justice course. And I get the email, you're in for um, Garth in Albany for the press conference and one-on-one and we'll give you two tickets. I was not expecting to show tickets. Yeah. I thought it was gonna be a thing where, do you wanna go? But they, they set aside the press tickets. Um, they set aside the press tickets, and, because um, my dad, we were actually gonna see him two weeks later in Philly, and my dad um, was like, I don't wanna go to the show, we're going in Philadelphia in two, two weeks later. Our whole family had bought a suite, and we were all gonna go. And I'm like, Dad, they gave us tickets. I didn't even have to. I was like, fine. So <laughs> we, we watched it. We got a hotel. So we drove up to Albany in like March blizzard. Yep. Drove up to Albany. Did it. I'm like trying not to crap myself the whole ride <laughs> up there. <laughs> now, I've met the man several times before. But I get there. I do the interview. All due respect to my college experience, ventriloquism podcast, to interviewing my childhood hero, I didn't graduate in June. I graduated March 
11th. Good for you. 2017. Yeah. That, that is that. And that is my date on the Legacy box set. Yeah. You, you know how you could date that? Yeah. That's my date. We both got the dates we interviewed Garth on. Uh, no, actually, I got her birthday. Oh, okay. I yeah. thought you were going to do one that had yours. No, but, I have all one set. Yeah. One, so, one thing about Garth yeah. is that whenever he would come and do the show, Opry Backstage, like, I have had artists come in and they look over you. They don't look into your eyes. They don't yeah. see you right. because you're not important enough to know. Yeah. But Garth was not that guy. Garth would like everybody because he realizes that everybody has value and it's a team that puts everything together. Yeah. And um, but he would say, you know, like if if Tim were working the show, Tim, you know, how's it going? And Tim would say, oh, you know, Garth, you know, I've got my son. He's wanting a puppy and blah blah blah. The next time Garth would come to the show. Not only would he remember Tim's son's name, but he might actually have a puppy with him. Right. I mean, he's actually given our crew yeah. members yeah. puppies. He remembered me from all the times I'd, I'd stalked him as a fan. Yes. You mentioned that word, germ. And yeah. maybe we'll have you back just to talk about, talk about that. <laughs> because there's a group of ladies that are Garth fans. Yeah. They're the reason I think I'm in music journalism. is because they showed me you can be a fan and still, and still do this. In fact, I wouldn't want to not be a fan. And we've talked How do about we get started because we're fans, right. right? And we've you talked love it. and yeah. we've talked about several times. Like, is it appropriate for me to go up and just if I know Garth is going to be at the Late Show when I lived in New York, if I know he's going to be at the Late Show or at Good Morning America, is it appropriate for me to wake up at three in the morning and go up there just to say a quick hello? And I think it is. I think it keeps you in front of them. But you know, there's the question of does the team like that? Does the team appreciate it? I think Germ doesn't exist. If you're passionate and you respect and the artist respects it, great. If you're passionate and the artist and the artist doesn't, um, you know, <laughs> one of these. Well, here's where so. you here's where you become a germ, okay? Yeah. I think the people like Garth absolutely want you to come by and say hello, and and he cares. But the, yeah. the germ part would be if you come and say hello, and he's got to be on air oh, yeah. in the next five minutes, and you continue to talk about your day for four and a half of that, and then his team, they're pulling out their hair. No. That's where it crosses it, but see, you don't do that. No. Um, Tim, um, we have a son who's a drummer. You mentioned drummer. Yeah. And he's actually drummed for Garth. Yeah. Oh, uh, on a yeah. show with Opry. I, I was amazed at Garth, uh, how he remembered everybody's name. Yeah, I was going to say that. He yeah. was at the Opry, and uh, we met him, uh, my wife at the time, uh, and my two boys. And we would see him like six weeks or six months later, and he would call us by name. Well, uh, Diana died in October or August of 2000, and that year was the 75th anniversary of the Grand Ole Opry. And Tristan had been backstage hanging with him all the time, and uh, Garth asked him if he would come up and play a couple songs with him on the Opry. Now this kid was at that point about 16, and uh, you know, you're, you're you're too young to be scared. You yeah. know what I mean? You just jump in and do it. And you do it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I always thought that was the coolest thing, and uh, so it was really. I, I was just impressed with how uh, personable and how he remembers everybody's name. I try to do that, but I'm Tim's I'm losing. I do pretty yeah. good, but not like that. He's amazing. I think he has an eidetic memory. I think yeah. that's like a, a thing. He, he has to, because when I was in Fresno, I got tickets as well, but I had gone by myself. So I'm in line with someone, and or I'm just in line. I get grab my tickets, and I'm in line, and I, somebody started talking to me. I'm like, where are you sitting? He goes, oh, I'm way up behind. I go, you want 12th row? He goes, really? I go, 
Cool. Who who did that? I did it to some guys. So oh. he sat next to me the whole show, and next to me because we're in the journalist. That was really nice. We're in the journalist area, and a guy from the Fresno Bee, I know his name was Josh, had interviewed him, and we were kind of chatting, sitting there, from the stage. Again, we're row K, so what, twelfth row? Garth goes, Josh, right <laughs> there on the stage, like saw him in the middle of the show and started going, and he's like literally sitting right next to me. I'm like. He just met us like three hours ago. Yeah. Remember the name. Like, yeah. That is so cool. And he did it in Garth fashion, like that yelling that he does. It did, was awesome. Did you have long hair then? Oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Well, I've always had it. Yeah. So, yeah. And Tim's always had kind of long hair. We will go places and people like, he because he asked you if you were in the music industry. Yeah. People will just assume or ask Tim if he's in the music industry because why? Because we were in New Orleans and I'm sitting there. We had ordered something and the guy walks over. He said, you're an entertainer. I said, what makes you say that? And he said, you got entertainer hair. <laughs> and you have entertainer hair. Yeah, thank you. I, I enjoy that. Usually I've, I've got a few more. I have 50-year-old man hair. Yeah. <laughs> We've already been over this joking off. off but it looks good on you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> now, I've, I've been playing forever and always had long hair, minus twice that I cut it. Once I had to because I worked for a radio station. That was their policy. Like, well, that's sexist, but we won't. Yeah. We won't go there. And then second time because I wanted to. That but is sexist. Then, then, you know, I yeah. never thought of that. Yeah. That women can have long hair, but a oh, man my, can't. Oh, my hair was mad, but we well, well, we have to we have to go. We have a bunch of people coming into this coffee shop for our Live in Nashville series. We're going to stay in touch. Every time we talk to you, we feel like we're just talking with old friends. Well, oh, yeah. and oh, they're right yeah. back at you guys. And I, before we go, I want everybody to go to timatwood.com. That's timatwood.com. Say it with me. Timatwood.com. And I want you all to order his new CD, and the new CD is called Who I Am. Say it with me. Who, Who I Am. Cool. And, um, and take a look. And this, the, uh, you can actually go to his webpage and listen to the new single, which is called Sending Me Angels. And it honestly is a song that we all need to hear right yeah, now. Scott sent it to me, and just because I travel yesterday, I got to get him a quote. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I'm sure it's amazing. And Tristan, I guess, is your son. Yeah, yeah. On Tristan's on yeah. drums on the project. And you know who he's proud of, too? Who's on that CD with you, Tim? Charlie McCoy. <laughs> Charlie McCoy is a Country Music Hall of Fame member. He was the band wow. leader for Hee Haw. Oh, my gosh. And every time we're listening to that CD and Charlie plays something, I'll just slap her and go, that's Charlie McCoy. He's <laughs> playing on my CD. Bruises to prove it. I love that. I love that. Oh, well, Tim and Roxanne, this has been great. Again, we will have to have you guys back on, and maybe we'll talk that gurming term. Yes. Sure. Many sure. people may not know if they're not from here. But right. So we actually did our second podcast. Yeah, that was on. one of our first episodes when yeah. we weren't doing guests. But. Well, you are definitely treasures, and we appreciate you. you. And I have to tell your listeners that these guys – are young, good-looking guys, okay? And so we really appreciate that they enjoy and appreciate traditional country music. Yep. And I think there are a lot of people like these two out there. And come forward, buy the CDs, because the only way this genre is going to survive is if you support the artist. Yes. So please, support us all. We appreciate you. Yeah. Talking to people who understand the journalism side of this business, it's always just so fun. You know, it is because we never really talk to journalists. We, yeah. we just talk to uh, usually the musicians, and uh, it, it's cool to hear that side of things. And Roxanne has an 
always a cool story. Like yeah. the Dirk Bentley one was that super cool. Now we're going to hit up Dirk's and see if he'll interview about Roxanne. <laughs> you know, I, and one story I didn't get to tell is, uh, I guess I'm not the, he's not the only one that snuck into the uh, Grand Ole Opry. Ah, you should see he just grimaced. I've done that and got my own private tour because <laughs> I did that. But you know what? I really didn't sneak in because I just drove up to the artist entrance. Yeah decked out like uh, an artist a, an artist and uh, they didn't ask questions we we'll, wouldn't, right wouldn't fly today oh I know but, but hey it's something I, I'm proud like of like you lived like a clandestine life and you were sneaking into backstage with Reba hey we don't talk about that what <laughs> guys th- there's a story there he's told me it's wild it is wild. We're, we're going to leave it off the record. No, we're not. We're, you're going to tell it one day. You're going to tell it one day. We're going to get Reba, and then she's going to be so charmed by us, you're going to tell her the story. You're going to tell sure. her. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, from Nashville Coffees in the heart of Music City, this is the Music Universe Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm um, Buddy in person. Thanks for listening, and keep checking out themusicuniverse.com for the latest news and release info. And check us out on socials and weekend notes and notable releases on YouTube and IGTV. Uh-huh.